turn together to the book of Esther and to chapter number 4. And we can read at verse number 15. Esther 4 at verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Zuza, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So as we turn to look at this passage and do so as we reflect on uh, the passing of the Queen in recent days, we can notice, first of all, that as we come to read this book, we need to notice where we find the the story and the history of the people of God. And we see from chapter number two that here is Mordecai, who's a Jew, who is being, has brought up Esther, and they are here because the people of God have been taken away from Jerusalem and taken away into exile in Babylon. And so when we think of when this happened, we, we are looking somewhere around uh, the time of 479 uh, BC, which is around the same time as Sechariah, uh, Nehemiah, uh, and Ezra, around about that period. So we're in a time where the people of God are away from their own homes and they are found in Babylon. And interestingly, when we read that, that, what that story looks like, and we heard something of that last Lord's Day, when we read about that story, they are going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years and after that God will bring them back and as we read the story we see uh, two particular developments that help us understand the chapter before us and the first of these is that Esther has become king and she has become king because uh, the, the king has sent away Vashti from him and he is looking for a new queen and Esther is selected, she won favour in his eyes, she was beautiful, and she then became the king's wife. He did not know she was a Jew, because Mordecai told her not to mention that at this stage. So that's the first key thing. Esther, a Jew who represents the covenant people of God, she is married to the king. And the second event is, that there is now a national crisis. And the national crisis is there because Haman has been promoted by the king and everybody should bow down and worship more or less Haman because of his promotion in chapter number 3. And Mordecai refuses to do that because the people of God do not bow down to worship anyone but the only true and living God. And because of that, Haman is so outraged with Mordecai that he is determined not only that Mordecai will suffer, but that all of the Jews will be destroyed. It's a national crisis. The very existence of the people of God is threatened because of the way in which Haman is outraged at Mordecai's faithfulness to his own God. And so against these two events, 
And in this history, we want to think today of the example of a faithful queen. And I want to notice, first of all, that we have a calling. God is summoning Esther from where she is. And summoning her because there is this national crisis. And Mordecai is the person who is engaging with her. And he is doing so by giving expression to his sense of grief and sorrow at the way in which not only is his life threatened, but the life of the people of God is threatened. And that's how the chapter begins. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He is filled with grief and sorrow at what has happened. And he wants Esther to know about that. After all, she is representing the people of God and she is with the king and she needs to know what is happening. And so Mordecai not only is his grave public, but he goes to the gate of the palace and there to cover himself in sackcloth and ashes so that the message will come to Esther that something has gone wrong. And when Esther hears that, that Mordecai is at the gate and that he is covered in sackcloth and ashes, she sends him proper clothing so that he can come into the palace and tell her what is happening. And as we read down through there, we, 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 we see the way which he refused. Such was his grief and the brokenness of his heart that he could not for any reason remove the garments that gave expression to that grief. And in the conversation, ultimately, the message came from Mordecai through Esther's servant Hathach to give Esther a copy of the decree and in verse number 8 that it might show to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favour and plead with him on behalf of her people. It was to engage her and to explain to her that there was a national crisis and that the people of God were under threat. And when we reflect on, on Queen Elizabeth acceding to the throne, coming at a time of what's still a national crisis, life after the Second World War, where rationing still took place, where, where the economy was at a low ebb, and where people were struggling to emerge from that dark time in her experience, she was called to be queen in a time of national crisis. And when we see Esther here, we, we see the way in which she is called to fulfill a duty on behalf of her people. To go and to plead with the king on behalf of her people, to beg his favour and to plead with him on behalf of the people. 
She has two things that she's going to do. She is going to plead for his grace, to beg his favor, in the hope that there's something in his heart that will be moved to hear her and to accept her and to have his heart moved in his mercy towards those whose needs are truly great. Reaching out to the grace that there may be in his heart. And also pleading with him on behalf of the people. Engaging with him in such a way as to present to him what the problem is and making that intercession for them pleading that the king will address their situation, remove the threat, and restore the freedom of the people of God. And so, in that way, Esther is going in on their behalf into the presence of the king in a time of national crisis. And when we reflect on the way in which the existence of the covenant people of God is threatened, We can remind ourselves that in the calling of Princess Elizabeth uh, to take the throne, that when she does so, as well as governing, she has a particular role to play in the life of the people of God. She is called upon to be the defender of the faith. She is called upon to be the defender of the faith of the Church of England to maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England as established by law in England and also to preserve the settlement of the true Protestant religion as established by the laws made in Scotland. We have Esther going in to to represent her people, to, to try to secure that their ongoing survival. And we have Queen Elizabeth acceding to the throne and taking this position of being the defender of the faith of the people of God. A calling, a great calling, a responsibility to us as a people, a responsibility for us on our behalf in the presence of God. The calling to defend the faith and to secure the survival of the people of God. Secondly, following on from that, we see that there needs to be a consultation. How can this be possible? How is Esther going to achieve this? How is Princess Elizabeth, how is she going to be able to accede to the throne and fulfill her responsibility? And we see in that consultation that Esther, first of all, highlights the reality of the difficult thing that Mordecai is commanding her to do. And we see in verse number 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out 
the golden scepter so that he may live. The law is clear. No one dare go into the presence of the king without being invited. And anyone who does so risks being put to death unless the king holds out the scepter, the symbol of his rule, and reaching it out in in the way of, of reception of the people who are coming into his presence, a, a, a gesture that shows that they have a place in his presence. And unless the king does that, then the person who would dare to come in will be put to death. It's for the protection of the king and it shows the privilege of those who are accepted by the king. And when we think about the whole image of the the scepter in the Bible. We see that it is a scepter that's in the hand of the Lord Jesus. And we see the Messiah having the scepter in Psalm 110 and in Psalm 45, which we sang, the scepter of the kingdom is in the hands of King Jesus. And when we reflect on the faith that is necessary and the faith that the Queen showed in in serving the Lord as well as in serving the country. It's a faith which lays hold of the fact that there is this gesture on the part of the Son of God as the Saviour of the world where he stretches out the scepter of his kingdom as a way of invitation and as a way of reception to those who are coming into his presence. And there is no other way of being accepted by him but by him passing on the scepter of his kingdom which the psalm says is a scepter of righteousness. In other words, it is the scepter that speaks of his salvation. And so we we reflect on, on the life of the queen and all that she did on our behalf and think in the first place of what she did on our behalf at the throne room of heaven as someone who received the grace of God and who was able to go in to intercede for us for her protection and for her safety. And so that as as she carries the the scepter of her own rule and her authority on our behalf, that she goes in humble submission into the presence of the King of Kings and in a sense laying aside anything that would promote herself, but pleading with the Messiah, pleading with the Son of God, for the good of the people. And in that same way that she comes in that, in that personal entrance into the presence of God, we reflect also on the way in which she held out the scepter to all those who came to her. The, the beauty of 
being accepted and being in the presence of the Lord. And there is the honour and the privilege of being received into her presence. And that scepter is the scepter that was at the centre of her relationship with her God and at the centre of her relationship with her people. And, and that sense of, of openness and, and of access, both towards the throne room of heaven and towards all of the people of her nation and of the commonwealth. The reality, the fundamental point that Esther could not do anything for this people unless she was received by the king. And so our queen was the same in the presence of God. The access she had, the prayers that she offered for Christ's dominion in her own home, in her own heart, in her own family and in our nation as the one who represented our faith. And as well as that reality and in the light of that, Mordecai lays down three markers that remind her of her duty before God. And the first of these is her solidarity with her people. That she is not to follow any selfish course of action. And we see in, in verse 13 that Mordecai says, Do not think to yourself. It's not about you. Do not think to yourself or in your own heart or soul that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Remember who you are. And when you remember who you are, forget about yourself. Because this is not about you as the king's bride, as the queen. This is about your people. Do not think about yourself. And Mordecai, you find that if Esther wasn't going to do what she should do, that she was exposing herself to the very decree that the king had, had written with regard to the destruction of the Jews and just because she was queen, she was not going to be saved. Don't think for a moment about your personal safety. The self-sacrificing way in which she was going to represent her people, realising that she was in this with them. That's the beauty of the biblical model of king, queen, the monarchy. The king is there with the people, for the people, to defend, protect, to shield, to, to pasture, to support, to do all of these things. And then there, is, there are the, the two things that remind her about her God. And that is that God does not depend on her. God requires her faithfulness, but God does not depend upon her. For if you keep silent, in verse 14, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. 
the confidence, the trust, the faith that Mordecai had. That no matter what Esther did, and if she did remain silent, that God was still committed to the salvation of his people and to their protection and to their survival. That help and deliverance, relief could come from another place, maybe from another person, or perhaps even from direct intervention by God himself. I need to remember the sovereignty of God and his faithfulness in saving his people. And that's surely a mark of genuine faith the genuine faith that the Queen had and showed that she understood that full well. As she spoke of times of difficulty and of learning about the faithfulness of God, that she understood that God was in control and God would never fail his people. And the second divine thing is that of divine providence. In verse 14 again, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The providence of God. That Esther is in Susa, that she is there with the people of God, and that in the providence of God, the king sends out Vashti, his, his bride, his queen, and that in the providence of God, Esther is exalted from among the exiles and placed in the palace next to the king, having the privilege, having the access, having the right that no one else in the country had. The providence of God for such a time as this. And we know that that's how God works all of the time. That he takes you and he takes me and he takes a person here and a person there and he prepares and he places and he provides and in the point of need for him that there the hand of God comes upon that person. As it, as it came on Queen Elizabeth and Princess Elizabeth and, and in February 1952, when, when, when her father passed away, so the hand of God comes on you and I in different places at different times for such a time as this, reminding her and reminding us of our responsibility. And so we have the consultation. There is no access without the scepter. The invitation of the king. There is the need not to be selfish. There's a trust in God's sovereignty. And there's the reminder of God's providence. The consultation. Where does that bring Queen Esther? Thirdly, we come to see the queen's commitment. 
And we see it first of all in the way in which she understands the faith of the people of God. She understands how that faith works in a time of personal crisis and in a time of national crisis. And because of that, she issues issues an instruction and a command in verse number 16. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. A time of national crisis is a time for a national fast and a time for national prayer. We see at different times in in the Old Testament, for example, in in Joel chapter 2, we see the way in which there is the call of God to the people of God to return to me with all your heart. And in returning to the Lord, to do so with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Denying themselves the comforts of everyday life. To reflect their desire for God. And the discovery that they need God more than anything else. And in engaging in that exercise. To reach out to the Lord your God. Not knowing whether he will be gracious and merciful. And will relent over disaster because he abounds in steadfast love. Go and tell the people to pray. Go and tell them to fast and to mourn. Go and tell them to show their sincere desire for God to help them in this hour of need. Prayer before practice, prayer before action. And we we read that when Queen Elizabeth spoke at the Christmas before her coronation, that is exactly what she asked of the people to do. I want to ask you all, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day. To pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. The preparation of prayer. The prayerful commitment of Esther and of the people of God. And what a remarkable Dead would be in their time of national crisis and going through a time of national mourning that we would rediscover personally and as a whole nation this whole concept of our dependence upon God and our great need of God so that at this juncture where are so many things being renewed that at its centre would come the renewed hearts of the people of God and this new desire to plead with God for him to give the necessary strength and grace and wisdom for our new king to fulfill his duties and promises for ourselves to be faithful subjects and to do so expressing daily our need of preparation by God 
to do so. And then, when the time for praying is done, it's the time for action. I will go, then I will go to the king, though it is against the Lord, if I perish, I perish. But commitment, it's fearless, it's self-giving, it's unselfish, it's complete trust and dependence upon God. And supposing it means her life, nothing's going to stop her from fulfilling her duty. A remarkable way in which Esther, through the whole of the consultation process, comes to this wholehearted commitment. And it is that wholehearted commitment that led to success. As you read the rest of the story, that Haman is hung on the gallows that he made for Mordecai. That Mordecai is exalted with the signet ring of the king. And that the edict is overwritten by an edict that gives freedom to the people of God to have vengeance on all of their enemies. And at last, the Jews, we read in chapter 8 and verse 16, the Jews had light, gladness, joy, and honor. God honored Esther. God honored the people of God. And they had success, and the people of God were preserved. And today we, we are thankful for the way in which our Queen, the late Queen Elizabeth, we are thankful for the way in which she was committed to serving God and to serving us. And that no matter how much that cost, that she went forward day by day saying, each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give, out, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God. We give thanks to God for that kind of reign and service. And it calls upon all of ourselves today to, to reflect upon that. God's calling upon our own lives to be so committed to follow that example, to have that trust, to go through the, the process of working through things in our minds and to understand that God's claim upon us, God's protection of his people and the way in which he will always keep his people safe. And that we may go forward together with the commitment that arises out of that whole process and be yourselves the children of God, the children of the King, and on our own way to be in the King's palace where the people of God will gather and be at rest there forevermore. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you as the great God of our salvation, as the God who sits in heaven, who rules, who reigns, and whose purposes are fulfilled, 
day by day in the experience of life in this world. Bless to us your word today. Speak it with power into our hearts. Lay hold of hearts and minds today together here we pray. And help us to go forward in your name, trusting in you. And help the nation to which we belong and our new king to go forward in that same way, trusting in you as the great God who will give energy and power and enabling and grace and strength for every step of the way. Hear our prayer and our mercy, for Jesus' sake. Amen.